Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We should have a couple more weeks in the book of 1 Peter about to wrap up. Although we'll say after the uh, testimonies of the baptism, I thought, why not just dismiss? Wow. But we have a few minutes left, so we'll talk about 1 Peter. Um, right after I got out of seminary, I, I did uh, what's called pulpit supply at a small country church. They had, their pastor had moved and they needed somebody to come and preach. So I went there for uh, several weeks, stretched into several months. And um, when I first got there and I started, started speaking, I noticed that no one brought a Bible. And, you know, that happened for several weeks. You know, at first I thought, well, it's just, you know, this week. But it, they never brought Bibles, never brought Bibles. So, so after a few weeks of that, I said, you know, I would encourage you to, to bring a Bible because every Sunday I'm going to say turn to, and if you don't have anything to turn with, you are going to feel a little uncomfortable because we're going to be in the Word. And so they dusted off their Bibles and they started bringing their Bibles, and we had a great time together. And uh, after a little bit more time, we developed some good trust, and they asked me if I would help them search for a new pastor. So I sat down with their church council and I, and I asked them, I said, well, tell me what, what's the, the vision of this church? Why does this church exist? What's your mission in this community and in the world? And you know what? They couldn't, they couldn't tell me. They didn't know, which shouldn't have been surprising given the fact that they didn't bring their Bibles to church. <laughs> they weren't in the word. They didn't have a sense of direction from God's word. And as a result, they couldn't lead their church. The church needs good leadership. Church has always needed good leadership, and God has always been deeply concerned about the leadership of his church. We hit ch- uh, chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Peter turns to that subject, and he addresses leaders particularly in the context of suffering. Because the church is in crisis, and in crisis the church especially needs good leadership. I want you to read with me the first four verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter is addressing elders. The first question that comes to my mind is, who qualifies? Who are the men that God has qualified to serve as elders in a local church? Well, uh, Peter actually doesn't spend much time addressing that particular topic, so we won't spend a lot of time on it this morning. But I do want to touch on it because throughout the rest of the New Testament, it's an extremely important issue. Who's qualified to serve as an elder of the church? Paul, the apostle, actually addresses it at length in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. So we're going to look briefly at Titus chapter 1 together, beginning in verse 6. Paul wrote to Titus, he said, Appoint elders as I directed you. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those 
who contradict. Now, Paul leaves uh, quite a lengthy list there, and we're not going to go into all the details. If you want to hear kind of a description of what each of these mean, I, several years ago I did a sermon series on 1 Timothy. You can go back and, and uh, listen to that in chapter 3. Just a couple things that I want to point out from this description. The first is that the leaders of the local church are called elders, which means they're older. Okay, Greek, English, Hebrew, doesn't matter. Elder means older, which means it's a man who has demonstrated maturity, okay, proven maturity through time. And so Paul kind of summarizes this entire list of qualifications with this phrase, above reproach. That is not perfection, but it is men who have consistently lived lives of holiness. A life that is above reproach, that is a life against which an accusation cannot even be made. Okay, that is the fundamental qualification for a person who will be an elder in a local church, to be above reproach. Second thing I want you to notice, if we go back just one verse, chapter 1, verse 5 in Titus, Paul wrote, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders, plural, in every city as I directed you. Uh, wherever Paul encouraged the formation of a governing group of individuals, it was always a group, it was never a single person. So in the New Testament, there is no concept of a local church with one person who's in charge. And depending upon your church background, that may be a new idea to you. But in the New Testament, the local church is not run by or ruled by a single person. It's always a plurality. And there are a few reasons for that. One, obviously, is that there is wisdom in the abundance of counsel. But a second is, even though these are people of integrity, there needs to be accountability. So in our church, currently, we have eight elders. We've had a couple more. We've had a few less. But it's always been a plurality. There have always been multiple elders governing the church. Uh, we have uh, two campuses, Southwood Campus and this campus here at Anderson. But we are one church. So we have one governing board that oversees both sites. Now, there are some elders that primarily attend at Southwood, some that primarily attend here at Anderson. But it is one governing board of eight elders because we have a shared vision, shared mission. We have a shared budget. We even have staff that move back and forth and serve at both locations. But our pastors are not elders. And again, depending on your church background, this may be a little different as well. But the pastors are not elders. Uh, technically speaking, in the Constitution, I, as a senior pastor, am an elder ex officio, which means I'm an elder without a vote. Okay? So the pastors have a seat at the table and we contribute to discussions. But at the end of the day, the elders govern the church and the pastors are in submission to the elders. Okay? We work for them. So all that I do in carrying out the vision that the elders have determined for our church is in submission to this group of men. And authority rests in the group, not in a single ind individual. So what is the job? What do they do? What are the elders' responsibilities? Well, if you look at chapter 5, verse 2, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Okay, be shepherds. Not a very common image for us. A lot of us have probably never seen a shepherd in our lives. We've never met a shepherd. We don't know any shepherds personally. But in Peter's day, everybody knew shepherds. They'd seen them. They'd seen good shepherds, bad shepherds. They knew what a shepherd's job was. And so it was a very common metaphor in Peter's day, even though it's not so common maybe in our day. Peter didn't invent this idea, this metaphor being used of spiritual leadership as shepherds. If you look in the Old Testament, 
The one psalm that we probably all have memorized, Psalm chapter 23, begins like this. The Lord is my shepherd. God portrayed himself as as the shepherd of Israel. When Jesus came into the world, he said to his followers, I am the good shepherd. As opposed to the bad shepherds that you've seen before, the prophets who prophesied falsely in the name of God, or the Pharisees who are hypocritical, who say one thing and do something else, who are uh, tools of the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I am the good shepherd. I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. I've come to shepherd you. I'm the good shepherd. And then when Jesus left the earth, he pulled Peter aside in particular and he said, Peter, shepherd my sheep. Peter, feed my flock. Peter, tend my lambs. Peter, be a shepherd to my people. And appoint shepherds and grow shepherds, build shepherds to lead the body of Christ. So what do they do? What does it mean to function as a shepherd? Well, if you look again, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God among you. How? By exercising oversight. So to shepherd meant to oversee. And so overseer actually functioned as another term for the elders. Uh, the, The term elder referenced the maturity of these believers who were to lead the church and overseer the function. And what this means as elders are overseers, is means, it means that they are responsible for everything that happens in the church. Okay? Elders are responsible for everything that happens in a local church. Now, obviously they cannot hands-on do everything that happens in a local church, but they are responsible told in the book of Romans that they will give an account for our souls. Wow. That doesn't absolve us of personal responsibility, but someday elders will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and their shepherding or their overseeing will be evaluated and they will give an account for our souls. Was the gospel clearly proclaimed? Were believers built up in their faith so that they could be equipped and sent out into the world? Did the church do its job? Elders will be held responsible for that. Now, specifically, What that means is four things. I want to break it down into four things for you. The first is elders are responsible to lead. First Timothy chapter five, Paul wrote, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. And that word for rule means uh, literally to place forward or to come forward. It is an elder's responsibility to step to the front. In other words, it's an elder's responsibility to dig deeply in the word of God, to go before God in prayer and understand what is God's vision for the local church, to lead, to set direction, and to maintain that direction. Our elders have spent throughout uh, the history of this church more than 45 years time in the word seeking God. What has God called us to? And we've landed on a couple of things. The first is we are called to the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The church is called to worship. And second, we are called to the great commission to make disciples of all nations. Now, specifically, what does that mean for us in our local context? Well, you know, we're right down the street from this incredible disciple making field called Texas A&M University. And so we feel like God has called us to reach out to that campus and to bring mature uh, adults and singles together with college students and to grow together, to worship together so that we can all go out into the world and influence it for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
So historically, we've landed on, on four pillars of this church. The first is the teaching of the word of God. It's living and active and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe the word of God changes lives. Uh, the grace of God. That is that God genuinely does love us unconditionally in Christ. And we can freely have a relationship with him. Not by works, but by faith. And we can grow in that relationship with him. Not through self-effort, but by the power of the spirit through faith. That's the grace of God. We believe in the effectiveness of college students as disciple makers in influencing the advancement of the Great Commission. And then fourth, missions. We want to be a church that is primarily not focused inwardly, but one that's focused outwardly until Jesus Christ returns. It's the elder's job to hear God's voice in that and to make decisions accordingly. A few years ago, I had a friend who was the, uh, he was the director of a, a campus ministry. It was a parachurch ministry on campus. And uh, he told me that one day a lady came to him and she said, I have a wonderful opportunity for you. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. I want to uh, support your ministry. And so what I want to do is uh, I want to sell dresses at your weekly meeting for students. I'm going to come to every weekly meeting. I'm going to set up a table in the back and I'm going to lay out all my dresses and I'm going to sell dresses to your students and I'll give you part of the profit and I'll take part of the profit. And my friend thought about it for a while and you know, he sat down and he met with his team and they talked about it and they came out with this decision. They decided we don't sell dresses, okay? We make disciples. And I've taken that as a leadership principle for the church. We don't sell dresses, we make disciples, I'm not saying dressmaking is bad. If you like making dresses, man, make them for Jesus. That's wonderful. But what's the business of the local church? It's not to set up dresses. We don't have dress tables back here that are distracting you from worship every Sunday. Wow, that's a nice dress. Oh, I should be worshiping. No, we don't do that. We don't make dresses. We don't sell dresses. We make disciples. And ultimately, it's the elder's responsibility to remind us all we don't make dresses. Okay, you just write that in the margin. We don't make dresses, right? We make disciples. That's what we do. So it's the elder's responsibility to lead. Second, it's the elder's responsibility to feed. If the flock is to grow in health and strength, it needs to be fed. And our food is the word of God. So again, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, the verse ends like this. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So our elders preach and teach. Uh, Some teach in a home church setting or an adult Bible fellowship or a Bible study. They teach in a variety of different settings. Obviously, they can't do all of the teaching in a local church, and so they have to delegate some of that. They delegate it to pastors and other home church leaders and adult Bible fellowship leaders. But they are responsible, ultimately, for the teaching and the doctrine of the church and making sure that we are fed so that we can grow, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Third, The elders are responsible to protect the flock. The shepherds protect the flock. Now, uh, when I think about shepherds, the first image that comes into my mind is is really, honestly, something kind of soft and cuddly. I think about the lambs, you know, and they're soft and cuddly. And Mary had one of them, and it was little, and it followed her. And, right, you know, that's what I think about. But that's not the point of the metaphor. Shepherds were tough. Shepherds lived outside almost all year long. They hardly ever bathed, Right? They ate all their food over an open fire and they knew how to kill wild animals with their hands or with a stick or with a sling. David learned how to be a soldier by being a shepherd. 
shepherds were extremely tough individuals. I've got a couple images here for you. These are modern shepherds, but uh, you get the point. Don't cross these guys, right? <laughs> that little hook thing, it can pull a sheep out of a hole, but it can also whack. In David's day, they probably had iron spikes embedded in the end of it. The shepherds were strong and they were tough. It wasn't a cuddly metaphor. So Paul, when he was writing to the elders in Ephesus, as he was about to leave his farewell message, he said this, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So be ready to fight and do battle on behalf of the flock. Guard the flock from false doctrine, from heresy, which will destroy the effectiveness of the church. Guard the church from sinful practice. Discipline the church. That is the most difficult part of an elder's job. When a believer is in error, going and rebuking and drawing that person back in. But I have seen churches that refuse to exercise discipline and guard the holiness of the church, who refuse to guard the reputation of Christ in the community. And when they refuse to do that, that church eventually withers and dies. It happens every time. And so it's a hard duty, but it's a necessary duty. Guard the flock, protect the flock. Why did God choose this metaphor? You know, this is the primary metaphor for spiritual leadership in the Bible. Why did God choose shepherding as this metaphor? Well, you know, a, a couple thoughts come to my mind. The first is that shepherds were not exalted in society. It was, it was a humble job. It was not a, a job of, of prestige, but it was an incredibly important position. And that is an elder in a local church. It's not an exalted position, but it's an important position. It's actually a position of humility. I think it probably has something to do as well with the nature of sheep, not just the shepherd. Sheep are hard to lead. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. That's what we do. Every time I think about sheep and shepherding, I can't help but think about an experience in my own life. You may have heard me tell this story before, but when I was in uh, junior high, an opportunity to go work with a friend, family friend who's a shepherd. He's actually, a, he was a, a vet professor, but he had sheep, so he was a shepherd. And I got to go out and work with him. And I remember uh, his name was Doug Hogue, Dr. Hogue. I went out there and he said, now Brian, uh, you need to keep an eye on that ram. That's my ram. Because if you turn your back, He's going to come up behind you and he will ram you right back here, right in the back of your hip. And, and you know, he could, he could probably break your leg or he could dislocate your hip. So you really need to keep an eye on him. So I'm working the whole time going like this, you know, whoa, what's, I don't want to get my leg broken by this thing. But, I, you know, I kind of lost track at one point and I realized all of a sudden, I don't know where that ram is. And I turned around and it had just lowered its head. It was about to come at me. And so I ran and I jumped into the bed of his truck and the ram goes, bam, and slams into the side of the truck. And he backs up a few steps and he goes, bam, and he slams inside the truck, backs up again, wham, and inside of the truck. And he did that four or five, six times. And then pretty soon he just kind of stepped back like this and wandered off. No smarter for the experience. But I got out of the truck and Dr. Hogue walked up and he said, I, I see the ram came after you. And I got this big dent in his truck. 
but his ram was none the smarter. What does it mean to lead sheep? Well, it's a difficult job. It means to care for them. Sometimes it's rebuke, but sometimes it is care. Because they need guidance, they need direction, they need to be fed, but they need to be cared for. Acts chapter 20, again, Paul addressing the Ephesian elders, he said, In everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Yes, you have to be strong for holiness, but you need to be tender and compassionate for those who are weak. And those who fall in a hole, lift them up. Bandage their wounds. Pray for them. When they're sick and they're hurting and they're broken, love the flock. Okay, care for them. How should the elders do their job? Well, this is really Peter's primary focus. This is what really concerns him most. Look to me again, chapter 5, verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. How? By exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Peter lays out uh, three sets of contrasts for spiritual leadership. And even though most of us may not serve as elders in a local church, this applies to all spiritual leadership. This is the way God wants us to interact with one another and influence one another's lives. So this applies to all of us. First, serve willingly. Serve willingly. He says, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. That is, not because of shame or guilt from others, not because someone pressures you into doing the job or you feel guilty to do it, but do it voluntarily or intentionally. Do it because you want to do it because you sense God has called you to do it and for no other reason. My translation says according to the will of God, but literally it is according to God. That is, serve as God serves. God is not compelled to do anything by anyone outside of him. He cannot be coerced. All that he does for us and gives to us, he does so willingly because he wants to. Second, serve unselfishly. He writes, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. In the early church, there was not an office of pastor. The elders did the teaching. And as Paul said in 1 Timothy 5, the elders who really labor hard in teaching and preaching, let them be considered worthy of double honor, which meant the honor of holding the position of authority of elder and the honor financial remuneration for all of their labor in preaching and teaching. So it was the elders who did the teaching and the elders were paid for that. Our elders do not get paid. It's entirely voluntary. No remuneration at all. But in the early church, because the elders were paid, there were some folks who decided, hmm, I think I want to be an elder because I can make a little coin off being an elder. That'd be great. So Peter writes, don't do it for that. Do it instead for the opportunity to serve. Look at, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. That is literally eager to serve. Eager to be of benefit to others, not benefit to self. Third, lead by example. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
When you hear that phrase, lording it over, I hope your mind immediately goes back to the Gospels and Jesus' interaction with the disciples who always wanted to be first. Jesus, let us sit on your right and your left. We realize you're the master, you're the teacher, you'll be first, but can we be second and third? Can we, have, can we be great? Will we be great in your kingdom? And Jesus says, absolutely you'll be great, but you know how to be great in my kingdom is you become small. Become a servant. You want to be first, become humble. Because the world's concept of leaders as those who dominate is not how it works in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, leaders are servant leaders. And the primary characteristic of a servant leader is is humility. So don't lord it over those who have been allotted to your charge. Literally, those who are your portion because they're not yours, they're mine. The church belongs to God. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd and all elders are under shepherds. And so they too serve in submission to a higher authority as they oversee God's people, not their people. So as a result, Peter says, the fundamental way that you oversee is you live as an example. Let your life be exemplary. Paul said this, he said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me around. Watch me. Watch me in every setting. Watch me at home. Watch me out in the community. Watch me at work. And then live like I live. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? Wow. That's pretty heavy responsibility, isn't it? Just watch how I live and then live like I live. That's the responsibility of the elders. To live an exemplary life. Okay, with that list of qualification and these duties... And the obligation to be an example to everyone who watches you, who would ever want this job? Now, which, I mean, that's kind of what I think from time to time. Why don't you look with me in chapter 5, verse 4. Peter writes, When the chief shepherd appears, you who have served well will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. Remember last week, the point of the passage was that all believers who faithfully serve Jesus Christ, we, we identify with him, we live for him, and sometimes that means suffering, sometimes not. But no matter what comes in our lives, we're living for Christ. When we do that, we see Jesus Christ, we will share in his glory, in his beauty, in his radiance, in his rule and reign. We will share in that glory. Summarized for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Far beyond anything you could suffer in this lifetime is sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ. And then he turns to elders and he says, Peter says, for you who have served as elders, there is a special reward for you and it is the unfading crown of glory. Now I've uh, worked full-time for Grace Bible Church uh, in January. It'll be 18 years. Wow, I know I can't even believe it. I'm, I don't feel that old. 18 years. And I will tell you, I have sat in on a lot of elders meetings. And I have learned that one of the greatest gifts that God has given to this church has been godly elders throughout the history of the church. I would love it if you could all know them like I know them. they become good friends. But it's probably not going to be possible for these eight men to know all of you. So uh, I asked our video intern to um, shoot some video of our elders so that you could uh, just get a glimpse into who these men are, uh, their character, and why they serve. And I wanted to share that with you as we close. 
The first thing I would say God has taught me being on the elder board is humility. There's a tendency in our society to to give accolades towards those who are in a leadership role. I'm constantly reminded um, and impressed upon the importance of humility and of, of being humble. Time and time again, what I found is that the, the role of an elder has truly got to be that of a, a servant leader. Humility is key to service. We talk about servant leadership. Uh, humility is key to that, and I really pray that God um, keeps keeps me humble and keeps um, all the all the leaders in the church humble. I think it's I think it's critical. We're not the Congress. We're not the City Council. We're not the the rulers of Grace Bible Church. God is the ruler of Grace Bible Church. Our job is simply to try to go for the Lord and see what it is He would have the church do. The position of elder is not about an individual. It's really about the, the body of Christ. And so it is to uh, be certainly a person of uh, integrity, a person of character, a person of the Scripture. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, gives the best summary statement of the responsibilities of an elder when he, in speaking to the elders, he says, I exhort you to shepherd the flock, to exercise oversight. It's, just, it's a significant responsibility, and again, not as an individual, but as someone who represents the church. And that's what I look at as I think about Grace Bible Church and the elders is it, it represents who we are. There are several responsibilities. One of, the, one of the main ones is to guard the doctrine, to make sure that the church is teaching sound doctrine. That's absolutely an essential role for the elders. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it talks about the, uh, the qualifications for an elder, but also it describes an elder as one who is an overseer, one who uh, gives oversight to, the, bo to the, the body here at Grace, gives direction, makes sure that we're carrying out what, the plan of God here at Grace, making sure that the, the saints, the believers here at Grace, are growing in their walk with the Lord. I would say that our primary function is to set the vision of Grace Bible Church, what direction are we going, making sure that we remain true to our roots, uh, true to our fundamentals in the scripture and teaching and our ministry to college students and our focus on missions. It's really been a blessing to serve uh, with the men that I have on the elder board and uh, gosh we come from uh, a lot of different walks of life and a lot of different professions. What we have in common is a real desire to see God's will for this church. Being around those guys is, is such a blessing. Um, uh, you know, week in and week out and meeting with them, uh, dealing with, with difficult issues, uh, laughing. Uh, crying, you, you can't help but but become close with with guys like that when when you're all fighting you know battles like we fight. It's been a blessing to uh, serve with the other men, and uh, God certainly worked in my life through uh, being associated with them and uh, being really ministered to them through kind of common service here. There's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. Um, as long as we're effective as a church, there's going to be spiritual warfare, and. I hope that people are praying for the elders, the deacons, the pastors, the leadership of this church on a daily basis because um, Satan is very active. Being an elder is a function of, at the present time, eight men working together 
bowed before the Lord, asking Him to show us what guidance He would have, what leadership God would have for our church. And our role is just to listen to the Father and do what He has to say. Beyond my four years of being an elder, I think back to all of the men who have been elders at Grace Bible Church. So many men who have just been unbelievable witnesses for the Lord, unbelievable servants of God who have been elders here. When we were members, became members, so there were about five families in the church. And uh, now it's easy to see how that has, uh, through God's grace, really expanded uh, tremendously. And I remember looking in the Bible where it says all those things you have to be, the things you, if you have to be to be an elder. And I remember early on thinking, my gosh, I, can, I, can, I, don't, I don't believe, I don't fit in that category. <laughs> I was the husband of one wife, but there were, there were a bunch of other things in there that I was not sure that I was really worthy of being an elder. I just look back and God has been faithful uh, to, to Grace Bible Church over the many, many years and continues to be faithful. And I believe that we'll continue to be faithful uh, to, uh, we'll continue to bless Grace Bible Church as we continue to seek to be in the midst of His will. And I love the focus of college students and love the focus of missions and certainly the focus of meeting the needs of families and the focus of teaching God's Word. And so I think as we continue to do those things and move according to what we believe God has laid out for us, God will continue to bless us. I don't think that we measure our success by how many people walk in the doors on Sunday. I think success is measured by the number of people who walk out of that door on Sunday and invest in lives of other people, not only in this community, but all over the world. Well, the rewards are just, it's, it's exciting for me to see, uh, to see all the wonderful things that are going on. The rewards are that I see that the Lord is using Grace Bible Church in a mighty way. That just makes me feel good. <laughs> That's not, I, I might get a, you know, I've studied a little bit of prophecy here lately. In the judgment seat of Christ, there, there, there are going to be some wreaths that are passed out. <laughs> I might get one of those wreaths, <laughs> maybe a little one, uh, for serving on the elder board, or, you know, for being a leader. But, you know, those things don't mean anything. Rewards, what we do is turn right around and give them to Christ to put them down to his feet. So. join me in prayer. As as we are bowed in prayer, I do want to just encourage you to pray for our elders. Pray for others who are are spiritual leaders in our church, Bible study leaders and Sunday school teachers that uh, God would guard and protect them, cause their their lives to be exemplary, and that he really would protect and guard this church. Father, I do pray that you guard and protect us, that you would uh, keep us walking in the direction that you'd have us go. I pray that you'd continue to Allow us to be effective for your kingdom. I pray particularly for our elders. I thank you for them and their, their godly lives. I pray that you guard and protect them. I pray, Father, that you give them wisdom and insight and vision for this church. Father, I pray for this congregation that you would continue to allow us to be salt and light in this world. 
in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.